through 25 seasons. Hey! 4,561 episodes. I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Behind the scenes of this show, we've been talking about this story for months. All of us here uh, at The Oprah Show know, who know about it feel stronger and wiser, more appreciative of our own lives. It is really a gripping, and it's unimaginable, this story of survival, like we've never heard before. It's complicated to tell, and we're going to do our best to honor everybody involved. I just want you to take this all in. It happened over a period of 43 hours just a year ago, and we're starting at the beginning. Nick Schuyler was a personal trainer in Tampa when he met NFL players Marquise Cooper and Corey Smith at his gym. Marquise was married with a three-year-old daughter he adored. He was an avid fisherman who often took friends out on his 21-foot boat. Corey was the youngest of six from a tight-knit family. He had just finished his season with the Detroit Lions. Marquise, Corey, and Nick decided to go on a fishing trip. At the last minute, Nick invited his best friend since college, Will Blakely. On a chilly February Saturday, the four men set out at 6.30 a.m. from this boat launch in Clearwater, Florida. The men dropped anchor 70 miles offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. In late afternoon, when the weather turned cold and windy, they decided to head back. Then, disaster. The boat flipped over, tossing all four men into the rough open water 70 miles from shore. When the group didn't return home, Marquis's friend called the Coast Guard. It was 1.27 a.m. The Coast Guard launched an all-out search, but there was little to go on. Uh, we knew it was a single-engine boat. Uh, we knew the size of the boat. We knew the, who, was, who was on board the boat, but we didn't know where they were. Nick's sister, Kristen, got the call late Sunday morning. Without her even saying that the call was about Nick, she just came in and I looked at her. I saw Mike, what happened to your brother? And she said, they're missing. Coast Guard helicopters, planes, and boats braved grueling conditions and waves as high as 14 feet. There were huge numbers of white caps out there. So we're, we were looking for one small white speck amongst millions of other white specks out there. We were kind of looking for a fingernail on a shag carpet. All I kept thinking is these men are out there, lost. It's a feeling I would never want any mother to have to go through. Overnight temperatures dropped to 40 degrees. Hypothermia became the biggest concern. One of the main symptoms of hypothermia is the hallucinations, and you could become very aggressive, and you could just start fighting and 
and you could start beating somebody up or, or just stripping off your clothes and then just running away. So you just become very confused um, and just do something that may in fact cause your death. When reporters found out two NFL players were missing, it triggered a media frenzy. As night fell on day two, still no sightings. Nick's mother was beside herself. I remember saying something that, if they don't find him while it's light out, we're, we're going to be in trouble. And she got upset and said, Mom, don't think the boy. Then, Monday morning, a fateful break in the weather. At 11.46 a.m., after searching for almost two days and over 24,000 square miles of ocean, a Coast Guard lookout makes a miraculous discovery. It turned out to be the white, uh, the white upside-down hull of the boat, and then they saw Nick sitting there with his, with his life jacket. There's only one person who knows what happened on that boat. The sole survivor, Nick Schuyler, is here. Welcome, Nick, to the show. So you guys had set out um, just, you know, on a boys' trip right. on a Saturday morning. And at some point, you became seasick when you were entering the Gulf. Is that true? Right. Yeah. And anybody here ever been seasick before? Uh-huh when the waves are doing yeah. this and this and this, and so you were up chucking a lot, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. absolutely. And because you became seasick, you had put on your, what, jacket? Yeah, and... my ski jacket, actually, from up north. Mm -hmm. How's everybody dressed, which is gonna be key for later? Um, for the most part, people were like in wind pants and wind jacket. Um, Marquise had shorts on mm -hmm. and... Um... All right, so at some point, you guys, the, the water starts to get even rougher and the storm is coming, right? right? Yeah. And what happened? Uh, well, we knew a storm was coming. We knew that it was going to get rough out. And we talked earlier in the week that we might not go out that far because of that reason. And Why did you go out that far? That's what I couldn't understand. Why were you was, all 70 miles yeah, offshore? Miles. It was just, it was one of his favorite spots, spots Marquises. And uh, I mean, it was a long ride for sure, especially with those waves. But just the fishing in general was absolutely great. I'm not an avid fisherman, but um, he, you know, he knew what he was doing. and. It was his last weekend before he left to Oakland for camp, mm -hmm. and uh, he wanted to make one last trip. Okay, so around 4 o'clock, you all realized that we need to start heading back. Right. And what happened? Well, the week before, first off, um, we had lost an anchor um, because of similar reason that which happened this time. It got stuck. So when we were leaving... So the week before, the same guys? The same, no, not, not Will. Will didn't go with us. Okay. Uh, one of Marquise's friends went okay. with us. Yes. Okay, so the week before, the same three of you right. had gone to the same spot. Right. And the anchor had got stuck. Correct. And because you couldn't pull up the anchor, you all cut the line. cut the line, correct, okay. yeah. So this time, the anchor got stuck again. Again, yes. And we tried a, a couple different maneuvers and, you know, turned the boat around and pulled it from every which angle and had two guys pulling it, three guys pulling it. After some time, Will decided that, okay, why don't we put it on the back of the boat? So uh -huh. the, the anchor's still in the water, but the rope was going to move, move to the back of the boat. Okay. Okay. And our intention was, okay, if we gun the motor, we're either going to, you know, rip this thing out or the line's going to snap. Why didn't you all just cut the line like you had the week before? Um, I think it was partially like, why are we going to waste another $200 and how would in our wildest dreams, this one-inch rope flipped this boat. I mean, that never went through anybody's head. 
Yeah. You know, so. Nobody ever thought that that no, could flip the absolutely. boat or that that was a dangerous move right. or that that was whatever. Right. Okay. So as you gunned the boat to try to pull the anchor out of the water, what happened? Uh, Marquise was driving mm -hmm. and he, you know, took off and the front, of course, picked up right away, the front of the boat. And within maybe two seconds, it and slowly flipped. So, I mean, it was in, within two, three seconds once that entire boat. Entire boat flipped? The whole entire boat flipped, yes, to its left. So you're thrown into the water. Right. All right. So now you all are in the water. Nobody can believe they're in the water. There was a lot of expletives going on. Right. Yeah. And the water was cold. And the water was very cold. Yeah. 64 degrees, I hear. Yes. Yeah. And then what happened? We, t we attempted to flip the boat over. Um, and underneath the boat, in those conditions, there's absolutely nothing to grab onto. There's absolutely no leverage. So I don't mm -hmm. care how strong you are. If you're trying to flip a canoe in 150 foot of, feet of water, it's going to be definitely a challenge. Yeah. Right? Physics is working against you. Exactly. Yeah. Literally. OK, so time passes, and you realize you can't flip the boat. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Um, well, we were definitely all in shock at that point. And, you know, by that time, you know, it was after 5 o'clock. Can you all hear each other? Or Yeah, we can hear each other, but the waves are already crashing in. So everybody imagine, I mean, the, 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 the waters are pretty rough because you're right, getting yeah. pummeled by the... by the, slammed, yeah, correct. Like and we in, don't have jackets on at this point. And you don't have jackets no, on at this point. No, so we're treading water as is. Okay, so you all do not have on life jackets. Correct, correct. Um, when you all first flipped, since this is Marquise's boat, was he not in the beginning saying, I'm he so sorry, I'm so sorry? Yes, he felt like he was the one to, to blame or it was his fault because he was the captain. But Marquise was, you know, there's these stories out there that Marquise was an inexperienced boater, which is absolutely not the truth. He knew what he was doing. He had been on the water a hundred times, thousand times. And he was a, you know, an experienced fisherman. We just all, who would think that a one-inch rope would flip this big boat with four guys on it? So in the beginning, he was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Everybody's yeah. like, dude, it's going to be OK. We're going to get out of this. Correct. You all thought you were going to get out of it. Right. Question, had you all been drinking? Corey didn't even drink, first of okay. all. To be honest, my first initial thing was, OK, Marquise is leaving town. We're grabbing a whole lot of beer. Corey's not drinking. He could drive the boat back. And we're going to have a good time. And with the conditions going out there, that definitely was not the case. I think I had two beers. I mean, and that was over a four-hour span, yeah. five-hour span, so. Yeah. When the waters are rough, uh, beer is the last thing you're Absolutely, thinking about. Yeah. I've been on no. rough season. Yeah. It's not good. Right. OK. But I had to ask that question. So you all had not, so everybody was pretty coherent when this absolutely. happened. Oh, absolutely. All right. OK, let's, let's get to the point of how do you then get the life jackets? So Will kind of took charge, and him and Marquise particularly Took off some clothing because it was easier to swim. It's hard to swim in shoes. Took off some clothing and attempted to go into the boat several times. Okay, by the time you're going under for life jackets, by the time Will is diving underneath the boat, how does he find a life jacket? Because the boat's flipped over. Marquise was sitting there kind of giving him instructions. Uh, Will was a very, very good swimmer. And Marquise had attempted a few times to go under as well. So when Will would dive under, he'd come up, he's like, okay, Tell me where they're at. You know, explain to me. They're in this closet next to this, next to this. So, so underwater, he's trying to find the closet where the life jackets correct, are. Correct, correct. Which is nearly impossible with the waves and, yeah. you know. And so. it's salt water, and you got to keep water. your eyes yes, open. Correct. Yeah. yeah. OK, so then Will pulls out the life jackets. He, there are three life jackets and a seat cushion. Right. And he puts the seat cushion on his own back. 
Yes. And gives the three life jackets to you guys. Correct. Yeah, that's quite a friend. That's quite a friend, absolutely. Okay. And then what happens? Um, the conditions get worse. They get worse. We, we, like, once again, we kind of get our positions on the boat. And okay, let's look at the sketch of the positions on the boat. So now you've been out here for, what, a couple of hours? Yeah, this is kind of how we, for the most part, other than getting flipped off the boat, a hundred times mm -hmm. kind of positioned ourselves. Because every time a wave would come, it would knock you off the boat again. Correct, yeah. And I mean, we worked together for really through the night till 4.35 a.m., you know, helping each other because there'd be times when... Now, which one is you? I am on the far right. Mm -hmm. um, I have my right leg up, and Marquise is kind of straddling the cooler in yes. the middle there. Uh -huh. So Marquise was actually out of the water more than anyone. So he, but he didn't have much to hold on to. So he was using my leg to position himself. Mm -hmm. um, Will's the one with the throw cushion on the back. And then Corey was actually in the water more than anyone. There was absolutely nowhere to stand on that side. You can kind of see where my foot is and Will's foot is. There, that's the swim platform that we were kind of able to get ourselves out of the water. So I want to read an excerpt from the book, page 49, where you say, Marquise was in a precarious position, but none of us were really secure as the waves kept crashing on us in the dark. We'd hear them approach and scream, hold on, trying to brace ourselves. The cooler kept shifting. It was like trying to ride a bucking bronco. Marquise must have come off the boat 20 or 30 times. I probably came off the boat 15 times. Sometimes you would climb halfway back up and a wave would come and throw you right back down. But a grim resignation was starting to set in as we clung to the boat and the gulf battered us. There were a lot of oh my gods. At first it was oh my god is this really happening and now it was oh my god is this it. So how long before the realization that this was really uh, deeply serious? Probably by about 10 that night. Yeah. By about 10 that night, uh, Corey kept stating, no way in hell I'm going out like this, mm -hmm. you know. How were you all keeping track of time? Corey had a watch on, mm -hmm. a waterproof watch that had a uh, light that we could press for a second to see the time. Mm -hmm. And so at some point when Will, your best friend, dove under, did he not come up with a bag that contained the cell phones? Yes. And uh, he was able to retrieve Will, what, some, a, what a swimmer to be absolutely. able to go underneath. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely stepped up. And without Will, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today for sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was able to go under and retrieve a baggie, a Ziploc bag with the cell phones. And, you know, I'm sitting there trying to make calls or text. And all it says was connecting, connecting, connecting when you call 911. Because there's when, no connection out in the middle of the ocean. No service, right. You kept dialing your cell phone, dialing your cell phone. 911, 911, connecting, connecting. I hold in there for a minute and then have to come back down. I'm trying to balance with one hand with these waves. So I, and I wanted to save power at the same time. Maybe I was hoping we would drift or come you know, close to a cell phone tower and maybe pick up reception later on. We've been talking to Nick Schuyler. He is the sole survivor of the NFL boating tragedy that happened off the coast of Florida last year. Nick was fishing with three friends, Will Blakely and professional football players Marquise Cooper and Corey Smith, when a deadly mistake flipped their boat 70 miles from shore. Nick has written a book about their terrifying ordeal. After nine hours stranded at sea, babbling 14-foot waves, Marquise and Corey started showing signs of hyperthermia, like disorientation, hallucinations, and aggressive behavior. 
Okay, so it's the middle of the night, and I, I, I remember I, I, there was like 2.30 in the morning or something, you noticed a change in Marquis. What happened? Well, throughout the night, you know, we were all saying things and talking about things periodically, and Marquis began to get very quiet. So we'd be like, Coop, Coop, Cooper. And he wouldn't answer at first. We're like, hey, Coop, you all right? And some time would pass, 10 seconds, so yeah, I'm all right. So he got very, very quiet. And um, once again, none of us kind of, at least me personally, didn't think anything of it. You know, um, obviously we were all frightened. You all weren't thinking that you're going to die, or were you thinking no, it, at that time still you were going to be rescued? It was just a matter of time before we were going to get rescued. Yeah. You know, I don't. Because Marquise is the only one who's married. Correct. And you all knew that his wife would call the Coast Guard if he wasn't in by Correct. some time. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yes. And he had said that if I'm not back by what time, she'll call. Roughly midnight, if he hadn't called by midnight. If he hadn't called by So, yeah, we had talked about that. And, okay, how much longer? What time is it? Okay, it should be, you know, the police or Coast Guard should be notified shortly. So just a matter of time, matter of time. Uh, but no one knew where you were. No. So even if they're notified, they still don't know where you, Correct. you are. Correct. So Marquise is starting to lose... Starting to lose some motor functions. Mm -hmm. Before this, though, had he, because I know people want to know, you know, what last words were and what did he say about his family? You know, uh, we had spoke about things we had changed with our lives and families. Will had mentioned stuff about being closer to his brother Blake. Mm -hmm. um, and what did Marquis say about said, his family? Had, he just said how, you know, he just talked about how much he loved them and Delaney, his little girl. Mm -hmm. And um, we were all, had a million thoughts going on that, mm -hmm. okay, this could be it. Okay. So Marquis is, is starting to lose motor functioning, and right. at one point you said he started mumbling, and you noticed he's foaming at the mouth. At that point, he, he tried to, he kept saying some things like, I need to get underneath the boat. I need to cut the rope. I need to get the anchor. Um, and at that point, I knew, okay, we're in deep, you know. And you all were trying to say, we've already done that. We've already done that. Yeah. You can't get on the... So he's hallucinating and is right. really quite... is losing his mind. It, it wasn't Marquis, though. That's not the kind of guy he is. So the, the elements were definitely taking him, you know, taking him in. I want to go back to, uh, to, to the doctor explaining what happens to you, what the elements do to your body. Because, again, the, the waves are pounding you guys, and you're taking in a lot of salt it's, water. It's getting colder as well. And it's getting colder, so your body's going into hypothermia. One of the main symptoms of hypothermia is the hallucinations, and you could become very aggressive, and you could just start fighting, and, and you could start beating somebody up or, or just stripping off your clothes and then just running away. So you just become very confused um, and just do something that may, in fact, cause your death. So he was doing what the doctor says. He was trying to take off his life jacket. He was trying to um, right. he was, swim away. He was and you all were trying to hold him down. Yes. Yeah. So I positioned myself up on the boat there and where I straddled the motor. And I had, I had pulled him up and then, with the help of the other guys. And I, I pretty much bear hugged him. Um, I put his head underneath the side. And I put his, you know, his legs here. And I just I bear hugged him as hard as I could. Mm -hmm. And we had been in that position for roughly you know, over an hour. And it was a fight. I mean, that was by far the hardest thing I had ever gone through. A fight to try to hold him down? Because he's struggling down. to... He's trying to, at that point, he didn't know, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, get away or... Mm -hmm. yeah. And what are you all saying to him? Hold on, hold on? Hold on, they'll be here any minute. Relax, Coop. You're good, you're good. Relax, relax. We got the anchor. Mm -hmm. Tell me about having to let him go when you realized uh, he's gone. We had 
you know, a few times we had checked Marquise's pulse, and um, Will Will's like, he's not there. He's not there. I'm like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. You know. So we had flipped him over, and Marquise had stopped fighting at that point. There was, you know, I was just holding on to him. And at that point, you know, we tried to flip him over and give him CPR, and which was virtually impossible with the waves. And, mm -hmm. and um, as time passed, there was no way that I could hold on to Corey and Marquise at the same time. I don't care how so strong. Corey's still in the water. Corey's still in the and water. And you're trying to hold on to Corey. Why? Because he's starting to fight as well. He's trying to get away or whatever he thought at that point, which once again was not Corey. Mm -hmm. The hypothermia was definitely set in. So the hypothermia is set in, and Corey is becoming disoriented, right. really, right. and is becoming aggressive, and yes. is pulling on you, and is pulling on Will, Will and, and is pulling on Marquise because he's disoriented. You have Marquise in your lap, and you have to make a decision. Right. Am I going to try to keep the, this guy alive, Corey, alive, and, or am I going to and, 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 and let, the, let my friend Marquise go? Or a chance of losing both of them. Or a chance of losing both of them. Right. And so you had to let Marquise go. Tell me about that moment. I just kept telling Coop, Coop, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, and I was getting definitely emotional at that point. And I, Will kept saying, I think you got to let him go. We're going to lose Corey. So that was, of course, in the back of my mind. I had thought it too, but I didn't want to say it or even believe it. So I had to let go of Marquise, and that was by far the worst thing. So you let him go. You physically let him go. I let him go, yeah. Didn't, so did he roll into the water? He slowly, yeah, he slowly just kind of sunk. Yeah, I mean, it started with he rolled off my right side, and um, I watched him, you know, from a foot in the water to where I couldn't see him anymore. Mm -hmm. And then what happened with Corey? Corey's conditions continued to worsen. And uh, same thing at that time, we just, obviously, this is real. We just had four guys, this is three. So uh, me and Will were is talking. Is there a moment to grieve? Is there a moment uh, to think about no, what because, just happened? No, because when Corey, when Corey got worse with his conditions, it was, it was definitely different from Marquise's. He was much more verbal, very aggressive, screaming, mm -hmm. um, saying some things that I had never heard Corey even joke about, which once again was not Corey and not the way he was. Saying things like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, he had said some things that, uh, that it's hard to, to take in because I know that wasn't Corey, but at the same time, for the last things he had said to me, uh, you know, of course, I'll never forget. So he's literally out of his mind. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And he is literally using his legs to leapfrog off the boat. He's putting his legs on the back of the boat and shooting himself back. So I'm holding on with my right hand, and he's shooting, you know, so he's literally ripping my arm, trying to get away. Mm-hmm. He had jumped one time across the back of the motor, and he had sliced my hand, sliced my arm on the motor mm -hmm. prop. And my immediate reaction was, oh, you know, grab my arm. Well, I let go of Corey. And he's roughly six, eight feet off the boat, and we couldn't reach him at that point. And then he dove into the water. Can you explain that? He got his jacket off, just kind of ripped it above. Once mm -hmm. again, had no idea, mm -hmm. and put his feet in the air and just kicked down. And we didn't see him after two seconds. So what happened is he rolled forward, according rolled to forward, what I read. He rolled forward, his feet, and did a swan dive went straight down, down into the water. Straight down. Yes, yeah. Nick and his best friend, Will, had now been in that open water for 15 hours. Two men are gone. And at that point, 
uh, Will said something that still haunts you. What did Will say? So after Corey is gone, now you're, you came out as four, and now you're, you know, the two, two men left. Right. Yeah. And Will had said something to me at that point. Once again, I'll never forget. He said, I don't think I'm going to make it another night. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't really say anything back at first. And um, at that point, I said, they're going to find us today. Just, they're going to find us. Tell us about Will's final moments. It was roughly 5 p.m. on Sunday. And um, I'd seen some of the same things where the other guys had shut down that Will was experiencing some of those same, you know, motor functions. Did he become aggressive also? No. Mm -hmm. No, he was definitely the least, least aggressive, but he became the, the most kind of defenseless. Um, so, you know, we were, it was a fight all day. It was by far the worst thing. I mean, getting on a boat in regular water is hard enough, um, but with, you know, 13, 14, 15 foot waves, mm -hmm. Obviously, we were tired and Will going underneath the boat throughout that day and retrieving some things and wasn't wearing as much clothing. So at that point, his, he was almost defenseless. He, you know, we, before we were given 100%, at that point, Will could only give about 20%. Mm -hmm. I was definitely fending for both of us at that point. The swells were out of this world. Um, we'd gone in the water quite a few times at that point, particularly him, because he was just holding on to me. And he, he had gone in the water a couple times and his first reaction, he couldn't get up on the boat. And I'm sitting there trying to pull a 225. he didn't have the strength to get. Yeah, didn't have the strength and the waves, of course. And then I'm trying to sit here and pull up a 225-pound man with um, not a whole lot of leverage. And he went in one time. And I don't know if with him going underwater and his jacket shooting up, of course, it kind of choked him. So his first reaction was, you know, I'm going to throw the jacket off, take the jacket off. So he took the jacket off. Within a few seconds, that thing was, you know, yards away. Get your jacket. No, forget it. I thought about going to get the jacket, but then I'd have to leave Will, you know, jacketless alone. Um, so I had held him for some time, and it just waves banging, 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 banging. And there was a time where, you know, we, he kept going under more than me, of course, because I had a jacket on. I was on one side of the motor, he was on the other. And he, we both kept going under, and he was coughing, and he'd come up, and Will, Will, Will. And he was there. And that happened probably five or six times. And one time I was calling his name and just was not there. I had told him. Then did he just drift off? No, I had, I tried to hold on to him for some time. Um, and of course, at that point, I was beyond devastated. I tried to climb back up on boat and holding a literally lifeless body. And he just, he kind of got away from me. And there wasn't a lot, there wasn't, at that point, there wasn't a whole lot that I could do. And I had to watch my best friend sit there floating mm -hmm. in the water. Did you all tell, you told each other that you loved each other? Absolutely. You said, I love you, man. I love you, man. And he said the same. Mm -hmm. So I want to read some of your thoughts. Um, the last one left on the boat. You say I needed to live long enough to tell the story. Even if I was found alive and died later, I felt worthless and useless. Seemed like every time I thought it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. I hoped I would be found, but I experienced what no person should have to experience. It was awful. Three are gone. Now it's my turn. It's just a matter of time. I didn't have any choice but to go on. So, you know, when we look at that picture of you uh, as you were rescued, and there you are sitting in your, you know, orange jacket there, mm -hmm. which is probably what saved you, the Absolutely. fact that you'd had on the jacket the whole time. I got sick. Yeah, and that you had gotten sick and had put on that jacket earlier. A jacket that your mom had given you, I understand. Yeah. 
So, but as you're sitting out there alone, what did you think about? Because you were alone now from Sunday evening when Will passes, literally passes under the water, and till Monday at 11.46, they spotted you. So you're there all night long sitting out there. At one point, you thought you were dying, or you knew you were dying. Yeah, I was like, this is it. And, um, were you scared? I was very sad. Mm -hmm. um, I kept thinking about the guys, of course, and my family. Um, Did you not at one point say, aunt, one of your aunts, if you're up there, help me? Yeah, and guys, if you're up there, help me? Yeah. You started to say your final prayers. Weren't you thinking about your mother? Correct, yeah. I kept picturing um, my family, my mother particularly, and um, I just could not picture my mother attending my funeral. Mm -hmm. And that's by far the worst thing that any mother would have to go through. Uh, but. I, I never gave up hope. I never gave up hope. But to see three guys, like I said, die in my arms, three of the best athletes, guys that I know, not get out of this. And at that point, I had been dehydrated and sick. Before I, this happened, uh, I knew it was just a matter of time. And I, I figured this was my last couple Could hours. Could you see the tornado coming? The tornado is the name of the boat, the rescue ship. Could you see it far out? You could see it, hear it, or were you? Um, at that point, I was, it was hallucinating as well, the last hour or so. Yeah. And I was hunched over my back, and my butt particularly was tore off. And I kind of put my head down and looked to my left, and then I looked back, and I was like, there's no way. Looked again, and I kind of stood up for a second. I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know? And uh, I took my jacket up, swung it around like a towel, and um, I just broke down at that point. Mm -hmm. They died at sea, but the lives of Corey Smith, Marquise Cooper, and Will Blakely will be remembered for much more than the tragic accident that took their lives. Corey Smith's parents are proud of everything he accomplished in his short life and say he's deeply missed by his brothers and sisters. His Detroit Lions coach said Corey's heart was bigger than everybody else's. Marquise Cooper was his parents' pride and his sister's biggest fan. His wife, Rebecca, says she misses his smile and gentle spirit. His daughter, Delaney, was the joy of his life. Betty Blakely says besides being handsome and athletic, her son, Will, had a twinkle in his eye and always made everything fun. She's grateful. The last time she saw Will, she told him she loved him. What did you tell Will's parents about how he died? I was in the hospital that second day, and uh, I knew it was one of those things I had to do, obviously. And uh, I just kind of went through the story. Mm -hmm. Broke down, and I just I kept going on and on. And I wanted to emphasize how without Will, I would not be having this conversation with you right now. Will saved my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He died a hero, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's been some controversy with the families uh, surrounding this book. Some feel that you're just now, at this point, profiting from their tragedy. Yeah, I've, I've heard some things, too, unfortunately. Um, and um, the, re the relationships with some of the families aren't where I would like them to be. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I've said since day one, the most important thing for me has been the Blakeleys, the Smiths, and the Coopers. 
and three guys. Do you feel you're profiting from No, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I started my own foundation um, to charities of my choice. And um, I had to make a decision just a few months afterwards, after this accident. And I was approached and said, Here, here's the deal. They're going to do a book with or without you. You can have the book told the right way, through your story, how your friends, what you guys went through, or there's going to be a book out there with whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it for the right reasons, once again, for the three guys and their families. Mm -hmm. So, Are you going to share the profits with them? Well, we have, we haven't, I haven't been able to speak with them, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and that has never been a scenario. The, the money has never been a thing. That was the biggest thing. I, I didn't want to talk to these people at first because, one, it was so fresh, obviously, what had happened. This is just a year ago. It's been a year on. already. Yeah. Already. It feels like last month. Corey's family spoke to our producers and said, your depiction of Corey's last hours, uh, threatening and aggressive, isn't the Corey they knew. And you've said here several times, and you say many times in the book, it also isn't the Corey you knew. So, so what do you want to say about that? That's why I played the doctor's tape again, because people literally lose their minds, and they become somebody you never knew. Right. Corey, probably just the big guy that everybody loved, the big teddy bear, funny, never has anything bad to say about anybody. OK. Marquise's wife, Rebecca, asked us to read this statement on her behalf. She said, the last morning I saw Marquise, I kissed him goodbye, told him I loved him as I have for years. My family and I didn't get the chance to bring him home, to lay him to rest. I've heard conflicting reports stemming from Mr. Schuyler what happened on the day Marquise, Corey, and Will died, but never once heard or been told of my husband's last words, whether he spoke of Delaney and I. How is it that Mr. Schuyler has enough recollection and material to write a book, yet has never once sat down with our family to tell us how Marquise died? Marquise was not an inexperienced boater or a careless friend. He was a husband worth fighting for in life and in his absence still today. So what do you want to say to that? The hardest thing for me right now is, is probably that relationship, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I have spoke to the Blakeleys mm -hmm. shortly afterwards. Will's parents. Will's parents, correct. And I spoke to a couple of Corey's sisters and brother and explained what happened. Mm -hmm. And more than anything in this world, I would love to tell her this story. And I've always wanted to tell that story. You said to me in the green room, because we spoke briefly in the green room, you said to me that immediately after, you all were friendly. We were, yes. yes. And I had seen her and Delaney and dinners, and you know they would come over to the house and vice versa. So why didn't you tell her then? It just, the setting wasn't right. you know, And it wasn't one of those things where, like, hey, I want to sit down with you, or vice versa. She didn't ask as well. There was absolutely nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. um, and I would have, I felt like I did need to say something. Um, but like, there wasn't. It just never kind of came up. So know. this is a really great lesson for everybody. You know, there comes a, a moment when things need to be said, and everybody always wants to know the answer to the question, why? That's the question you all were asking out there on that boat over and over and over amongst yourselves. And every time you lost a friend, you would say again, why, 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 God, why, why, why? And I'm sure every family member has the question, why, what happened? What did they say? What were the last words? You know, were they alone? Did he speak of, did he speak of me? And it's so interesting, and I know everybody has been in this position, particularly when somebody dies or there's an awkward situation. You don't know what to say, 
So you end up saying nothing, and then that nothing ends up creating really bad feelings because somebody should have said right. something. Right. And nobody really kind of knows what to say. Even if you, e even if you can just say, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. Right. Right. So if you could say to Rebecca, what would you say? So I can understand right. if what she is saying is true. Oh, absolutely. That absolutely. the only time she's heard about what happened to Marquise is when you write it in a book, that would be very upsetting. Right. So after this show is over, will you attempt to reach her and talk to her? I have. Or before this show I ends? I have attempt. You know, I, I don't want to put her out of her element or anything. I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. But at the same time, there's definitely been many, many attempts. Um, it hurts. It's by far the hardest thing for me. And. But I, that's not what I'm worried. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about yeah, her I'm sure and the it's guys. Yeah, it's hard for her too. And she has a absolutely, child to I cannot imagine. A, cannot father. imagine. Yeah. Um, so I would, more than anything in this world, would welcome that. Mm -hmm. Do you think about them all the time? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Especially, um, you know, I had only known Marquise for a little while, and Corey even shorter. But Will, I, mean, I was with Will, you know, two, three times a week, sometimes longer. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely been a struggle. Have you been able to go on? Yeah, my friends and family have been out of this world, um, you know, without them, who knows? Mm -hmm. Nick says one of the reasons he wrote Not Without Hope was to prevent this from happening to somebody else. And here's what the Coast Guard says we should take away from this story. Never tie an anchor to the back of a boat. Your boat should be equipped with an emergency radio beacon flares and flashlights. That would have made a world of difference in you all's lives had you had that. And you should always tell people exactly where you're going and when you're expected back. And always wear life jackets. So I thank you very much again, Nick. Thank you. Uh, we really do hope you find some peace with this. And Nick's book, again, is called Not Without Hope. Nick's life is a testament to live more consciously. And uh, I urge that you all do that. Bye, everybody. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening. <laughs>